They then start to have sex for the first time in nine days and 13 hours until Grace... <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, TV shows, music, video games, foodstuffs, and more from three people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Aaron Dyson. Okay, Jack. I'm sorry. Cancel the pass until we figure this out, because I know her, and I know that things are not good at home. And how do you know that? Because she read you a children's story? Don't fuck with me, Jack. I am on the floor every day with those kids, and last night, that girl sat next to me, and she cried, and she tried to tell me the only way that she knew how. Hello, everybody. It is Recotopia, episode 100. And you'd think that, oh, we're going to do something special today. It's just a regular-ass episode. Nothing special. 100, what does it mean? doesn't mean anything. It just means 100 episodes. That's all it is. Just a number. Um, all right. And joining us today are Aaron Dicer. Hi, Lily Hosinarinos. And Jeremy Scott. Yes, sir. <laughs> and usually, as usual, we have the chat. The chat is is up and alive. Thank you so much for coming out to... Uh, Watch us talk about movies today. Does anybody have any small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy has small recommends. I seen this movie two days ago, uh, and it has kind of haunted me. It's uh, called Paper Spiders from 2020, and it stars uh, Stefania Levy Owen who my wife tells me was in Sweet Tooth, which is not a show I've ever seen. And she is a high school senior. Um, Peyton List, who you might know, plays her best friend. There's two Peyton Lists. Uh, there are. <laughs> yeah. oh. I don't know which Peyton List you're talking about, but there's two of them. Well, she... They're both prominent. <laughs> her name's Peyton. One of them yeah. just changed their name. We can't have two Michael Douglases. That's why we have a Michael Keaton. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing that I uh, think... Um, uh, what was it? It was one of the... Suicide Squad or Batman animated movies, both of them had voices on the on the movie. Oh wow! So it oh, was wow. like Peyton List, Peyton List. Okay, so. so there is a Peyton List in this movie. Um, Lily Taylor plays uh, the girl's mom, and the mom is slowly having um, delusional paranoia. Um, there's a conflict with the neighbor across the street early in the movie, and that kind of sets her off on a spiral. By the end of the movie, she believes the neighbor is tracking them through their laptops and going through their garbage. She starts living in her car because she doesn't believe it's safe. To, like, it's a real serious mental health issue. It's not a very common um, illness uh, compared to something like depression or uh, anxiety, but the movie treats it extremely seriously. Uh, there are several moments of therapy-type conversations or straight-up therapy. Um, it's basically a coming-of-age high school girl um, drama. I think it would be very comparable to Lady Bird or Edge of Seventeen, um, only it throws in this wrinkle of... And, and there's no other parents around. There's no other siblings. It's just her and her mom is who is slowly deteriorating and she's still trying to do stuff like go to prom and graduate uh but she's also got to go to the homeless camp to take her mom some food and things like that um i was really moved by it uh really solid performances um it's a hundred 
on Rotten Tomatoes with 40 mm. some reviews. It's on stars. So if you have stars or have premium subscriptions to places like Hulu or Roku Channel or Amazon Prime, you should be able to find this movie. Max mm. Costella is also in it. Um, oh, wow. Just a really solid film uh, about, you know, growing up and trying to become an adult in the midst of having to parent your deteriorating parent. Mm -hmm. uh, Lily Taylor's fantastic. In it. Mm. Yeah, she's always been great. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Um, it's mm. not one I've ever seen, so... We'll, uh, we'll take a look. I had never heard of it. So, Well, my uh, my small recommend is likely been heard of and seen by many, many people. I'm just now getting around uh, to watching uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, um, wow. I will find you. Um, <laughs> it, this movie is so good. <laughs> like, and I, I, it, took, it took me a few minutes. Like, it took me a few minutes to, to get into... Uh, like what was going on but I I mean Daniel Day-Lewis is just so captivating and whatever he does he just like he he has a like a gravitational pull to his acting style that it, it's hard to imitate like there just aren't many actors that can really pull that off it's not just charisma like charisma I can like I have a better understanding of there's something about the way he performs that just draws you in um, and he's he's you know doing that here um, the momentum of this movie is so good. Uh, it just it just pulls you along. You're anticipating every scene, what's going to happen. The stakes are clear. You know what the stakes are. You understand what the goal is. So you're on board with you know what's trying to to be done here. There's also something that's um, really really interesting. I think about fictional stories set in real world happenings like you know what's going on here the the the, the french indian war as it's known uh is is a real thing that happened in history and there's some of these characters that are real characters in history um but the story is fictional this is the same thing with titanic right like the titanic thing really happened totally fictional story at the center of of you know what we're watching i really dig that i really think that's a that's a real interesting way to put us in historical events and i like that more um, than i like what tarantino does with historical events right right yeah he treats them as a time machine where he can change yeah. um history um yeah so uh i i really really enjoyed this uh some absolutely wonderful like running chasing scenes in this movie where i'm just like let's go 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 you got that like there's i don't know there's there's action for action's sake and then there's action where you're emotionally invested in this this movie is the latter this is michael mann right uh, yeah yeah it's yeah. it's more that drives it for me yeah. the music man <clears throat> yeah go ahead is that what you were gonna say everything you just said <laughs> i'm sorry <clears throat> that's fine i'm sorry i was gonna say that it's a it was different a race. michael mann it's a different Michael Mann movie than anything he's known for. Like that's yeah, yeah it's a co complete anomaly, yeah. and the and the score is phenomenal. They used to use that music in trailers all the time. Oh uh, yeah, the, there's yeah. also the a great Seinfeld parody where he's on the phone. He's like, "Stay alive, I will find you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, a friend of mine uh, uh, recommended a movie called Dinner in America to me that uh, mm. uh, carved out some time for. And um, uh, this movie stars Kyle Gallner, who some of you may know from Smile and one of the recent Scream movies. Um, and uh, he plays a guy named Simon who is uh, he's 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 definitely like looking for money but he's also on the lam there's uh, there's a five thousand dollar reward for him and there's cops looking for him everywhere so we're following his story 
but there's also this young girl uh who i think is played by like a 30 year old woman but she looks like a teenager um uh emily skeggs plays patty and she's a part of this family that's very i don't know if you would call them christian or just uh they're just they're just a little bit they suppress everything so like uh it's one of those things where it's like if you if you say something just a little bit uh a little bit off the father or the mother's like you're gonna have to tone it a little bit down okay and stuff like that um and and her character i don't know if they ever come right out and say she's autistic but she definitely doesn't she can't read people very well and she doesn't know what certain things are and things of that nature but we we know that we're on a collision course with these characters the guy uh simon who is uh is running away from the cops is observed by patty uh in a dark in a not a dark alley but in an alley somewhere while she's on break from work and she and a cop comes by and says have you seen this guy and she says no i haven't seen him and then he immediately says, can I spend, uh, can I go over to your house? Actually, not really asking. He's saying, can, I'm, I want to need to spend some time at your house and lay low for a while and that and all that type of stuff. Uh, he is secretly, by the way, a lead singer of a small up and coming band. And he go, uses the name John Q and he wears a mask on stage. And of course, Patty brings up the fact that she loves this band out of nowhere and uh she says that she wants to go see them because they're opening for some band called the alliance or something like that and and uh the uh simon hears this and goes what though they they would never open for a band like that no they would never do that he's been apparently his band has done some wheeling and dealing while he's been gone where he where the where they're about to play a show that he would never say yes to and everything and meanwhile there's this kind of a love story that builds and everything and when you start if you ever start watching this movie you're gonna be like chris what the fuck movie did you just try to put me on because (laughs) very it's very over the top uh right at the beginning and you think maybe this is the way this whole movie is gonna be you know like it's gonna be like a pain and gain or like you know something like that that's just turned up to 11 the entire time but once this love story starts happening between simon and patty that that they are magic together Hmm. and it's such and it and it's such an unusual and unique story so yes, I would recommend this. I know this is a big Jeremy movie. Jeremy mm. would love this. Um, I know Aaron would love it too. But but uh, I I feel like Jeremy would be big into this. Interesting. Well. All right. I you love it. I've got two that. two recommends that I haven't seen that I can go check out. That's good stuff. Mm. Yeah. That's what the show is all about. It's so good. Yeah. All right. Well, the big recommend is Short Term Twelve, and I'll let Aaron take us away. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed yeah let's take a look at short term 12. this is the directorial debut of uh destin daniel uh cretin uh cretin i'm not sure exactly uh how his last name is pronounced this is based on his own experience working in a similar kind of home for a short-term housing situation for Uh, kids that are in rough situations. He actually did a short film uh, in, I think, 2008 called Short Term 12, and then made this in 2012, uh, came out in 2013. 
Um, he would then go on to direct Just Mercy, which I think is an underrated film if you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Shang-Chi. He did a Marvel mm-hmm. movie. He directed mm-hmm. uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, this movie also launched a bunch of big careers, uh, as we'll see as we kind of get into it. Uh, the, the movie starts with some co-workers bonding uh, by telling some work stories as Mason, who's played by John Gallagher Jr., is telling Captain Marvel, Officer Diaz, and Freddie Mercury about the time he gravy trained himself <laughs> after following an escapee. Uh, a young kid then bursts out of the door in real life, and they chase him and hold him down as Nate, uh, played by Rami Malek, uh, adjusts to the insanity of this new world that he finds himself in. Uh, then we roll some early credits as someone says, welcome to Short Term 12. Later in a non-poop-related meeting, we find out that uh, mm. Marcus, who's played by uh, Lakeith Stanfield, by the way, credited as Keith Stanfield uh, in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, is turning 18 and he's going to be leaving soon. And he says that he wants his head shaved. We'll find out more about that later. Uh, we then meet a new girl named Jaden, played by Caitlin Deaver, who uh, swears like a CinemaSins narrator and doesn't give a flip about getting a mother flipping level drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We then quickly find out that Grace, played by Brie Larson, is pregnant before cutting back to her and Mason at home having a portrait sketch competition. They clearly care about each other, even if he doesn't, even if he does suck at pencil art. They then mm-hmm. start to have sex for the first time in nine days and thirteen hours. <laughs> Until Grace <laughs> delivers <laughs> delivers a right hook, hookup, uppercut, and we can tell right then and there that there are deeper issues that we're going to explore and be exploring with this character. The next day, uh, Jaden joins in on the group meeting. Uh, some wiffle ball gets pretty intense, and then Grace does some room checks where she finds some weed, some scissors, and a few medically accurate penis diagrams. Mm-hmm. We then visit Marcus, who clearly has a gift with words, as he performs some stuff he's written, and it's absolutely amazing uh we then find jaden and grace bonding a bit more uh and then marcus gets his requested haircut which we discover was not about style but actually uh about finding out if his head was still lumpy or scarred from his Mm -hmm. abuse when he was younger Grace then tells Mason that they're going to have a baby, and after some minor hyperventilating, uh, he is ready to buy his world's best dad mug. Mm -hmm. The next day, Jaden gets some birthday gifts and then gets stood up by her dad, which leads to an episode where Nate is still out of his depth. Mason is curious about his baking skills, and Grace helps Jaden get her anger out with a rollicking game of kick the inflatable dog. Things seem to be okay, but then Jaden bolts and Grace walks with her to her dad's place, but she eventually decides to come back and tells Grace in one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the entire movie, in my opinion, the story of Nina the octopus. a very, very moving and traumatic tale. Uh, Grace vows in that moment to never let her go back to her dad. Uh, We then go to a celebration that we find out is for Mason's prolific foster parents. uh, And we see the reward that they're experiencing in what must have been a painful journey raising all of these foster kids. Oh, and by the way, at this party, they decide to get engaged. Grace and Mason decide to get engaged. A phone call uh, then comes, and it becomes clear that Grace's dad may be paroled, and we start to get a little more insight into what's going on in her world. Uh, We get the sense that Grace and Jaden's stories are very strikingly similar, and we start to understand the investment that Grace is feeling uh, in Jaden. Back at ST12, uh, Marcus's fish has died, uh, and the uh, overseer that they have to report to has let Jaden go with her father 
because he says they have no proof. You can't just accept, you know, uh, a tearful uh, story um, and has no proof. Uh, so Grace accuses him of doing favors for a friend. He fires her and then a touch lamp pays the ultimate price. Uh, meanwhile, Nate finds one of Sammy's dolls and makes a kind little gesture. Uh, and maybe Nate is finally understanding why he's here. Uh, go, Nate, go. Uh, good to see him find his place. <laughs> then tragedy arrives as Grace walks back in to find that Marcus has made an attempt on his life. And everything is crumbling, including her relationship with Mason and her desire to have a baby. Uh, as they have a big fight and call it quits. She then breaks into Jaden's house and stands over Jaden's dad with a baseball bat until Jaden asks her if maybe she thinks that's being a little extreme. So they opt for instead a rollicking game of Babe Ruthing the Buick uh, in, instead How of that. How does dad not wake up? It's a great question. I'm guessing drunk. I'm guessing oh, that's a drunk sleep or something. out. Yeah, he's, uh, he's out. And, and she and Caitlin Deaver even says afterwards when they're smashing up the truck, he sleeps through everything. Oh, yeah. And I'm getting the sense that, yeah, there's some massive drugs and alcohol. Yeah, or just something. Alcohol. Yeah. Uh, Jaden then tells Grace that she's going to be a good mom. Uh, Grace apologizes to Mason and Mason welcomes her back into his blanket fort. Uh, as we approach the end, we see a beautiful ultrasound. We find out that Marcus is okay and, uh, and end up in another coworker story, this time about Marcus not throwing away his shot uh, before Sammy bursts out of the door and they chase him down as we adjust to the insanity that hope can be found even somewhere like short-term 12. Uh, and that is short-term 12. What did you guys think? It's your first time for both of you, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you are a gut puncher, Aaron Dicer. <laughs> I know, I know. They're and my favorite kind of movies. Like to punch guts. <laughs> um, uh, I really loved it. I'd never seen it before. Um, it is incredible that they pulled this cast together. They they absolutely could not have known that they had five future superstars in this no. film. Yeah. Uh, so it's just incredible casting. Um, I think everyone is perfectly cast. This is probably the most I've liked Raymond Malik in anything I've ever seen him in. Um, because he's just playing, he's not playing a famous singer or a James Bond villain. He's just playing a dude. Um, in fact, they have that fight during Wiffle Ball where Lakeith Stanfield starts hitting Luis with the bat and they break it up. Mm -hmm. And the, the female counselor, Luis and Raymond Malik are sitting on the ground and the female counselor says, how are you feeling? <laughs> Before the student can respond, Rami Malik goes, "Not good." They just fight like that out of nowhere. <laughs> and I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. Um, there's so much. I love movies like this that, that, that where the there's not necessarily a straight through line. Uh, we see vignettes uh, along the way that sort of paint a, a, an overall picture for us. Um, and it's just a very very human movie that gives us those kind of laughs alongside you know, the tragedies uh, that it gives us. And I feel like it deals with some extremely heavy, heavy topics um, in a very good way, uh, in a way that's not exploitative or like, mm, you know, pushing, uh, trying to make it edgy or what have you. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and I like the message of the movie because in general, we know that trauma can breed trauma. Um, and this movie is saying that recovery from trauma 
can breed recovery from trauma um, because Jaden is very clearly a younger version of uh, forgot her grace name. grace. <clears throat> um, so I was very moved by it. I have a few things I'll, I'll mention later in terms of notes, but um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about it. Uh, if anything, this is one of those movies I could have used another 10 or 15 minutes with. Uh, it was over too fast for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I really like this too. Um, and yeah, there's always, it feels like every decade has a movie where the casting directors have this amazing, uh, moment where they've gotten everybody before they're huge stars. So, I mean, yeah, you would never be able to make this movie with these people today. Right. <laughs> so like, you'd be probably to be too much, Yeah, but there's, I feel like it's inevitable with as many movies as there are that get made. Uh, and there's always that hot list of stars or whatever, uh, that that's circulating around and everything. And, and, uh, but it, it, it when you find, when you find those movies, it's always just like, Whoa, how did they get all these people and everything? The, um, I, you know, the, that, that octopus and shark story i mean it's uh, you know it was the the uh the big moment for me too as well i think that was the biggest part of the movie but uh i also thought it was interesting uh how at the very end of it it's 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 interesting that the sh that she says that the shark got sad it was almost like she was she was being sympathetic towards the shark but you can tell that in the way she's written it the shark got sad and looked for another friend and it, and it's basically saying, you know, this story, the shark story is not about how it lost a friend that enjoyed being with. It's about what happened with him. Not, you know, why, you know, what, what does the friend mean to him in his, in his life? Not really what he could do for, for the octopus or anything like that. He went out to find another friend that he would, probably just you know eat just as well um and everything so i thought that was a really interesting you know i don't know if they put that kind of complexity in a 16 year old's mind or if that was unconscious or what but i really thought that was an interesting take at the end to, to put that thing in there where it seems like she's being sympathetic but also pointing out that the shark's really not sad in the way that we're sad when we lose a friend or anything like that like like normal non-psychotic people um would be uh the the yeah the shaving of the head and and making sure there's no lumps i mean good god i, I was I had started this movie uh and uh it was about 15 or 20 minutes in when jeremy wrote across our slack channels this is this movie is a lot <laughs> and i was like i hadn't gotten to the a lot part yet but i knew we were going to get there because uh, these movies never have you know they're ne they're never not going to have stories that you're just going to like shake your head at humanity about and everything meanwhile you are going to have hope for humanity uh, a little bit too that, that there are people that dedicate their lives to doing this kind of work and everything so um so yeah i was uh i, I really really enjoyed this pre larson mm. is great i know that the internet hates her for whatever reason i think she said something about what was that stunts and Marvel about being all the all the critics and all the journalists at the junkets were men uh, yeah i think it was something like that um 
I don't know. I, everything that I see her in, I, I absolutely love her in. So I think she's great in this. Uh, Rami Malek also has a funny moment in that. I think it's in that same scene just before the, before the wiffle ball really gets intense or whatever, where he's been told that whatever they, the kids ask for, you have to say no. And it was a very kind of like, short like it, not literally say no but find a way to say no that whatever and these two little girls are like would you like to jump rope with us and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> and then that other lady counselor's like that's not what they meant by that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah so um so yeah that was uh that was a really funny moment in this but uh and yes the i i thought it was interesting too i think in the trivia on the imdb it says something to the point that uh, the director wrote all the raps but then uh keith stanfield came in and made mm -hmm. them better i didn't even know i didn't even know he he was a rapper or did it did any kind of music had any kind of a music uh a career or tried to or whatever but i think that song at the end is is credited uh to him and oh, wow. he's got i think he's got like a stage name that's on there too so um but yeah i highly enjoyed it i i, I think this is a really good movie this means that brie larson has been in because she's in just mercy and she's even in shang chi really quick so mm -hmm. that director must like working with her yeah I'm and there's sure. another movie he did that that she's in too i think so uh i can't remember what it's called but there's another movie that was not mentioned in the she's list. uh his de niro link to his scorsese link mm -hmm. tests her yeah. whenever he can mm -hmm. yeah they shot this movie in 20 goddamn days that mm -hmm. was the thing that wild. Flew, flew off the imdb to me i don't even know how that's possible i mean i can't even wrap my head around that i really can't i know people who in middle tennessee who have made movies no one will ever see that shot for more than 20 days um so <clears throat> it probably helped that he had made the short film first and mm -hmm. kind of had a handle on the beats but as an actor imagine trying to play some of those heavy scenes and the next day you're playing some of those light scenes and then back to some of the, i mean i just think it would be very difficult um mm -hmm. in such a compact amount of time so it makes the movie feel like a bit of a miracle to me there's yeah. there are several great performances in this movie. I think the standout for me is Lakeith Stanfield. I he blows me away in this film. And one of the other things I I, I read is that he was actually in the the short film and mm -hmm. quit acting after that and wasn't planning on doing anything. But the director sought him out for the feature because he loved him so much and managed to eventually get a hold of him and get him in it. And then of course launched yeah, his career. Like quit acting and didn't have a phone right yeah yeah something like that and yeah. i just think he's so good in this that marcus character to me is kind of the 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 heartbeat of the work that they're doing like you know the he because he's graduating in a sense and you know the the story at the end is about him and you know the uh the person mm. that he went back and found and they were on a date together or whatever. And it's this amazing story. But man, the first time I watched the scene where he does his rap for the John Gallagher Jr. character mm -hmm. um, blew me away. The lyrics in that rap are so powerful and the way he delivers them is so good. Um, that's the So You Know What It's Like song. Um, and uh, I pulled up the lyrics just to read the end. So put me in your book so you know what it's like to live a life not knowing what a normal life's like. Put a label on my head so you know what it's like to live a life not knowing what a normal life's like. It's just so good and it's delivered so well. 
Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed his performance in the movie. He, he has to run through the, the gamut of emotions. He's, yeah. uh, you see him at first, it seems like he's just angry. And then there you see some depression and then you see where he's happy a lot and he can cut, he's telling jokes and everything. There's the great moment too, where, uh, is it, is it right after Caitlin Deaver tries to run out the first time I, or I can't remember what it is, but there's a, a, a big, uh, she's, she's a cutter. So she goes into her, Oh, that's what it is. She goes into her room and closes the door and they're trying to break it down mm-hmm. to make sure that she doesn't hurt herself. And, uh, right at, like while that's going on, he goes and gathers everybody up, throws this, these supplies down on the table and says, all right, come on, take one. And then when she comes back, She's got happy birthday cards written uh, for her by everybody in the in the place. I think that is, I mean, I'm not trying to be cute. That moment maybe broke me more than any other because it's so obvious they have had to do this so many times. He just sets the construction paper and the markers down, and everyone knows Mm-hmm. got to leave a note for this person who's really struggling right now. It, it, that, that was what was hard for me to watch was mm-hmm. like, this is routine. This is mm-hmm. something they do regularly because they're all broken and they all fall out at some point and they have to be there for each other. God, it's rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one, one, of, one of the things that I think makes it work so well is the authenticity. And you can tell that these stories come from such a real place. Like you, you can just feel through all these things that the person who wrote it saw this happen in one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. somebody that he cared about and, you know, was was there for. And because of that, I think there are little details, you know, the, the old phrase, write what you know kind of thing. Like there are these details that really jump out at me of just, oh, yeah, that's how it would be in that situation, in that home, in, in that process. And uh, I think the movie benefits so greatly from him telling his own story, you know, to have it be... Uh, a little bit autobiographical in that way. I also mm-hmm. appreciate, um, appreciates the wrong word. Um, they make these veiled references to the night crew and the night crew is always doing shady shit, like taking away the stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And again, this is probably real life, man. The people on the night crew, you're asleep. So they're probably not, as invested in your well-being or your mental health as the day crew who actually mm. works with you and counsels with you. Yeah. Um, so the night crew, it's very realistic to me that the night crew at a place like this would be assholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it, there's, there's also, I think what Daniel's getting out in some of this is that feeling that the people who are disconnected from the process are often the people making the hard choices, like not the difficult choices, but the bad, the, <laughs> the bad, yeah. like the definitive choices. Yeah. They're and, saying the therapist was the one that took right. Away the so like a, like a therapist is called out. The boss of the place is called out for being disconnected. Like you, you get that there's this sense from the people on the ground. Like you don't know what's going on. Like you don't know how to actually uh, connect with these, these kids and to be there for them. Um, you're, you're using theory to, you know, do these things instead of like actually being on the ground with them. What's so killer about that scene where Brie Larson goes in there to tell him about that, you know, she can't say, uh, she can't say that she's being abused because her, she feels her father behind her at all times and mm-hmm. everything is that, is that on paper, 
he can't do anything. You got an almost gone baby gone situation, right? Yep, because right. You, there isn't any evidence uh, that they have seen that she has been willing to give them. And so you can't just, you know, take a kid away from a parent when there hasn't been any like evidence of it. But, you know, you have to be into that trust circle to be able to understand what's going on at home. And it's, it takes her forever to actually show those marks that are on her, her stomach or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, and it, just a, just a simple little, like, like a wave uh, in front of the therapist to show that or whatever, but that's how scared she is. It's how frightened she is of her father because she thinks her dad is behind her at all times. And it's, it's weird being in the position where you're like, well, yeah, if I heard this story, I mean, how many of these kids are also possibly lying about something so that they can get something out of it or whatever. You have to weigh all this type of stuff out, but you know, God, it's such, such a tough scene to see that going on. I do love that. She smashes that lamp though. I thought that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's about all she can do. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I think even she realizes that on paper, mm-hmm. you know, he did what he had to do. But mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's definitely a movie that you go through and you feel the gut punches and you uh, you go through the movie being a lot, as Jeremy said, and you get and you get to the end and the movie, I think, very clearly says there is hope, you know, it in in almost uh, goes out of its way in the Marcus story and, you know, through the uh, the ultrasound scene, you know, like those kind of things like be okay there is life beyond this there is life you know further than this there is recovery recovery can happen um and it's always a process and it's always a roller coaster but that's the it's, thing because even grace is still recovering right? exactly exactly because, yes. and that's what the, the whole scene where her boyfriend says to you says to her you know I, i've been here for three years and i wouldn't take a single minute back because that's how much i love you but i'm waiting for you to let me in Mm -hmm. i cannot help you and walk through this with you hand in hand until you let me she's facing the same kind of battle that Jaden's facing in terms of opening up it's just she opened up about her abuse 10 years ago now she's got to open up about that to her boyfriend and Mm -hmm. like it's just it never ends the recovery for this kind of shit never ends but movie is absolutely hopeful we uh we have uh in the chat uh flyboy asked the you know question about the last scene uh do we find the last scene of chasing the kid hopeful and the way i read that scene was that it doesn't matter what kind of happy endings that you might run into. I mean, he tells that story about Lakeith Stanfield finding the, the girl who was there and they're dating now and all that. And it feels like a really hopeful story. We, we see that Brie Larson is, is on her road to recovery and all of those stuff. And you're like, Oh, everything's happy. But then the kid runs out again and it just goes to show that this, this life keeps going on no matter what. Um, I, I, I get the, I get the idea of it being hopeful at the end because these people are still just doing their jobs and they're there for this person and everything. I do get that, but I also get that. It's just, this is their life. This is always their life, you know, it's cyclical. uh, Yeah. That's very intentional to end the movie with pretty much the exact same scene as the beginning of the movie. It's setting you Mm -hmm. up to go, okay, what's the next story? You know, like what's the next, you know, thing that they have to go through. It's a daily mm-hmm. and, you know, 
mm-hmm. monthly annual thing that they have to deal with. So yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Well, what about uh, Super Secret Double Features, guys? Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. I'm going to let Chris go first because I think last time it was he and I doing double features. And there's I, no way. I don't I think you've it. seen this movie, so I don't I don't think you'll have uh, – we'll, we'll overlap on this one. But uh, a very recent example, uh, The Holdovers, is what uh, oh, I, wow. I thought of on this movie. Um, uh, you know, again, we have, um, you know, uh, a, a teacher in charge. This is who's playing the, you know, the, so the counselor or whatever you want to call them, uh, from short term 12, who is having to, uh, see over kids who either their parents are, are not there or they're, they're, you know, they're absentee parents of some sort or whatever. And they've got their own, they've got a lot of issues that they have to deal with and everything. Holdovers is a little bit, I don't know, more darkly funny than this movie is. Um, but it, it, it can't, it, it felt like it was a, it was a, a pretty good parallel, uh, to this one because a lot of the same things, a lot of the matters of trust and, uh, and, uh, getting to know someone that you may not like initially, uh, it has a lot of that same kind of flavor to it. So, so I felt like the holdovers would be a good double feature with this. I like mm. it. Mm. Boy, I had a devil of a time here. Because there are only so movies about mental health group homes. <laughs> and, you know, I just didn't really want to choose Girl Interrupted or, you know, one of those. I don't even know that that would be a good double feature other than the group home aspect being the same. Um, but I ended up zeroing in on uh, Caitlin Deaver's character, Jaden. Uh, and so the double feature is going to be more about her journey. And it's uh, a 2004 movie called Speak, um, starring a pre-Twilight Kristen Stewart um, as a girl who everyone in school hates because last summer she called the cops while they were having a party. The reason she called the cops, we find out through flashbacks, is that she was raped at the party. Uh, but she was so traumatized, she was not able to tell the cops when they arrived, what had happened, and she has not been able to tell anyone. And so she's nearly mm. mute as she's going through uh, this high school experience. Kristen Stewart is so good in this. Um, mm. the, like Everything she does that's not Twilight, she's outstanding. Like There's <laughs> really good acting here. Steve Zahn plays an art teacher who kind of helps connect with her and get her out of her shell. But her journey is about f- finding a way to tell someone what happened to her and begin that process of healing and recovery from this assault. Um, and I feel like that is sort of the Jaden story in Short Term 12, is that she has to she has to take that first step, and she does by the end of the film. Um, and so uh, I would highly recommend Speak if you ever come across it. Um, it doesn't, I can't, oh, it looks like it's on Showtime right now. And it also co-stars Elizabeth Perkins and Michael Angerano. Angerino? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, but I had actually recommended this back on the Sincast four or five years ago mm. uh, when I saw it then. Um, and uh, that's my super secret double feature. Well, there you go. So uh, what are we going to see next week? It's uh, Jeremy's turn. It's Jeremy's turn. Shit. 
I didn't know that. Oh, wait, yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, another movie that I saw in the last week that I had seen before, and I think I recommended on the old podcast, uh, 2015's Eye in the Sky. Um, mm-hmm. Saw this five or six days ago, and God damn, it could not be more timely, even though it was made nine years ago. This is Helen Mirren, Aaron Paul, and Alan Rickman, and Barkhad Abdi, the guy from Captain Phillips, who says mm-hmm. I'm the captain now. Mm-hmm. Um So this is about uh, a drone strike in the Middle East. Aaron Paul is in Vegas. He's flying the drone. Alan Rickman and Helen Mirren are not on his location, and they are both superior officers to him. This is a joint U.S.-British operation. Uh, And they have a camera inside this house showing guys building suicide vests, um, bomb vests. But they also have aerial cameras that show a little girl outside selling bread. Um, and that is just one of the many tensions uh, as they try and decide, can we bomb this place? Should we bomb this place? They have to weigh the lives of innocent people versus the lives of innocent people that might die in a future suicide bombing. Um, and it just, it really punched me in the gut. This stuff has been going on for decades, but, um, you know, everything that you're seeing in the news these days, it just felt like this was super timely. This is on Max formerly HBO Max, um, and it's a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes, which I was wow. surprised. I have uh, never seen this. I am, uh, I'm get this has got to be like Alan Rickman's last movie, right? Like them, yeah. he, I think he, okay, so he did like a voice on Alice Through the Looking Glass, but I don't think that really counts. This is, okay. this would be his, his last, uh, at least on-screen performance if we want to, uh, I don't know, define it in some way, but. Uh, I'm a sucker for conundrum movies, and this is this is a conundrum movie. Um, in fact, it's kind of, it's kind of the trolley problem in real life. In many ways, it's like, do you proactively kill innocent lives, knowing that it will save you know more innocent lives? Yeah. Um, mm. And I I find the the characters, uh, way they uh, talk about it in inner inner you know the dialogue they have is just really well. I'm very excited to go over this one. This is a great choice. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. All right, so I'm the only one who hasn't seen this, then. That's all right. It's really hard to get one by Aaron that he hasn't seen. <laughs> no, no, I, I admit, I was just, uh, I was just uh, making that clear as a fact. I am the only one who hasn't seen this. You say that, um, but there are three movies mentioned today that I haven't seen, uh, one of which I'd never even heard of, the Speak movie that you talked about. So I'm, I'm excited to, to look all of those up. See, that's so. what I have yeah. to do, is I have to go back to before you were an official movie critic, and <laughs> then I'm going to have a, a higher yes. success rate. Yeah, I ever. just watched The Last of the Mohicans. There are <laughs> movies I haven't seen. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Okay, I guess we got some time for some questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. We got time for questions. Um, That's rare. Um, And we've got four of them loaded up. So you're going to have to give us some new questions, listeners, viewers, uh, for next week. Uh, What is a singular movie that absolutely needs a sequel or two? Um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World needs more movies i know jeremy you're not the biggest on this movie because it's a little bit too hyper for you but i but i i'm i i I love it and i think it needs more movies and and i i think it would be i think it would be awesome because it's definitely it didn't do well in theaters uh when it first came out i think it's got a following now that would make it a decent hit 
if they came out with a sequel. Um, and then um, also, I'm always going to try to uh, bring uh, knowledge to the world about Zero Effect. I know that they'll never make a sequel to this movie, but Bill Pullman's character as Daryl Zero deserved to have more movies, even though the movie made absolutely nothing at the box office. So, <laughs> oh that would be awesome aaron have have you seen chris have you seen the tv show the scott pilgrim tv show at all i have not has it it good i i have not seen it either i just i knew it came out last year i think it's a netflix show i think it came out last year um and i just i haven't gotten around to that one so Mm -hmm. uh, i have read that it's not the same story at all like they took wild liberties with it but everybody still seems to enjoy it so Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. So I had difficulty with this one because I, I actually have a go-to answer for this question, or I should say had a go-to answer for this question because the sequel is coming out this year. Uh, my go-to answer for this question was Inside Out. Um, I have mm-hmm. always thought that you could do so much with that concept and do so many different things. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see uh, what those things will be, uh, do, be with the, the sequel. Um, as it comes out um, this year. Inside Out 2 will be like Inception or something like that. <laughs> something, I something. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with The Truman Show, um, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing to me because uh, I don't think it has to, it can deal with completely different situations and themes than the original movie does mm-hmm. um, because that character, what happens next, which I get is a beautiful part of the movie is thinking, okay, what happens next? Um, but I think we've had enough time to ponder that, that I'd like to see uh, a movie version of that character uh, figuring out the real world and the paranoia that would come like the absolute mind stuff he would have to go through being in the real world. And while let's just totally ruin it and have it where Kristoff knew that he would get out one day and he put cameras everywhere (laughs) around the world. That's that's really interesting, but I'm not as much interested interested in that because it's the same be, then it would be the same as the first but that also is interesting that would be wild well, what a twist you said paranoia though i thought man with today's surveillance i mean this that sequel could end really dark with him realizing we're all essentially in the truman yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah. you yeah. could do that like there's st- the people with phones out everywhere and all that yeah. i mean it's yeah there's an um, article in my local paper that said the local police department is asking people in this city to, to buy this, what well, not buy, they'll give it to you. This Add this device to your security cameras that lets the cops access them in real time so they can catch criminals driving down your street. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And I was um, like, no. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, uh, in the chat, Polly Walnut says Alita Battle Angel. I think that's a yeah, good, uh, good, good choice. choice. Yes. I, I think they were thinking about doing that, right? Weren't it was they, supposed to be one, a franchise. It, it was yeah. supposed to be a franchise. Um, I just don't think the first one succeeded like they wanted it to. Um, shaggy nuts. Everybody's got nuts in their title. Uh, uh, it's saying dread, which I, I would think would be a great one too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if dread did. I mean, all these, of course, that were one offs and haven't had sequels is because they didn't do well at the box office, but dread, I think also has built up a quite a following over the years. I don't know if it's because of the raid too, but like, it's like, like, I mean, it's it is very similar to that first raid movie. Um, but it's fantastic. I love dread. Um, yeah, my answer for this was upgrade. Um, just because I love that world and I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I like Logan Marshall green. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I would like to see what happens next uh, in that world. Um, but mostly yeah. I just want more people to watch Upgrade. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do another. Uh, what actors do you confuse for another? I often play the game, is that Mark Strong or Stanley Tucci when I see either <laughs> on screen? <laughs> um, uh, this is... Uh, the So I get Marshall Bell, who is in a lot of Paul Verhoeven movies, um confused with Stephen Collins and I'm sure that will make Marshall Bell very happy that I confuse him with Stephen Collins. You can look Stephen Collins up if you want. Um but uh it's funny uh I've I started watching Band of Brothers Jeremy. Um and I'm two episodes in and I I have I did this last night confused a, a, an actor with somebody else because there's all you know it's like oh the, this is the younger version of somebody I, I i think that's him or whatever and so like kirk acevedo i thought was toby kebble when i first saw him oh wow mm. uh, and uh and so that so i was like i guess i confused those guys too uh so anyway there's those are my answers watching band of brothers now for the first time is going to be a trip because it's like, oh, there's James McAvoy for one scene. Oh, there's mm. um, Tom Hardy for one scene. Well, um, and and you know, I'll I'll do something like that, confuse two actors, and then I'll see somebody in shadows wearing a helmet with all this makeup on their face, and I'll be like, that's Andrew Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody's in that thing, man. Like the chat mm -hmm. says, Jimmy Fallon has a, a moment. Michael Fassbender's yeah. in there. Well, and David Schwimmer has like an amazing opening episode. Yep. I'm like, whoa, that that was some casting right there. Yep. But David Schwimmer is a hard ass in the first episode. Anyway, yep. Oh, it's good yeah. stuff. Uh, it's probably probably cliche to me it feels like the most cliche answer but it's true for me the natalie portman uh kira knightley thing has mm -hmm. thrown me you know for a loop many many times i, I think i can tell them apart now but they look Which so similar they used to affect in phantom menace in phantom menace yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yes yes very much so mm -hmm. um although the other one that always gets me is daniel radcliffe and elijah wood um the the two i mix the two of them up sometimes um so yeah they just they look similar they're to both me in real oddball movies too yeah like since yeah. they've made their money they just do this stuff that they like to do and they're always in these like real quirky pictures and stuff yeah. so yeah yeah so that one gets I, me sometimes. um as we learned recently in an episode a week or two ago i have a hard time with eric banna and billy crudup um <laughs> mostly because they both rose to prominence at about the exact same time um mm -hmm always have confused rachel mcadams and elizabeth banks i think i finally mm. got that one straight straightened out but yeah about 10 years ago shit when we did a video on the first hunger games movie i called her rachel mcadams and you were like that's actually elizabeth banks <laughs> uh, <laughs> i remember this yeah. <laughs> i was like oh yeah and i like slap stole which is, slab stole my joke peyton list it, and peyton list <laughs> right which is funny i think elizabeth banks for the longest time was confused with who's that comedian shirt was it oh my can't i can't remember that name but she used to have her little a cable talk show at night he's like chelsea handler is that who's i think she was confused with chelsea handler all the time mm. and like people would come up to elizabeth banks and go oh my god chelsea handler or something like that <laughs> she'd sign chelsea handler for her autograph and stuff like that that's awesome so, oh that's a good one um was oh, it, it um uh, well, actually, no. I thought they were going to say Jeffrey Dean Morgan and um, 
uh, Javier <laughs> Bardem. Javier Bardem. Yeah. But they say John Hamm on this one um, in the in the uh, chat. But uh, I thought, yeah, the Javier Bardem and, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. That When I saw the Watchmen trailer for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, Javier Bardem. And they're like, no. <laughs> no it's not I, sometimes i it's sometimes it's not a visual thing either sometimes when i'm talking about i just get if they have the same first name i'll just mess them up like you meant you mentioned chelsea handler i like i, I can't uh, remember how many times i've called her chelsea peretti or you know chelsea peretti chelsea handler <laughs> yeah. or like it just sometimes it's just the first name and i i just pick the wrong last name oh yeah the margot robbie and emma mackey yeah that's a good one margot robbie that... and samara weaving for me Oh, that's another one. Yeah, all three of them together, really, honestly, are are they, they were in Babylon together, thing. weren't they? Yes, I yeah. think so. I think in, a, so. in a scene together, I think in the mm. in the when they were shooting out in the desert, all the different um, scenes. Samara Weaving's in that? I think so. I think she does. She's the one that Margot Robbie replaces when she gets her big break, right? Like Samara Weaving. I think, so. I think that's right. I wow. could be wrong. I could be. I could be wrong about that. There's, I could... there's some movie where this happens, though. I believe. Yeah. Where, yeah. Like yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um. Do we have one more room for we one do. more? We do. I think we need one more. Mm -hmm. uh, what is an animated movie or show that genuinely surprised you when you found out who voiced a role? Okay. So when I was. I, I've watched the Simpsons from the beginning of, uh, you know, when it first came on, like I watched from first season on and everything. So I was pretty young and I thought that some of the, some of the guest voices were being done by people who were experts at doing those voices. So like the fact that Dustin Hoffman and Michael Jackson actually did the guest voices on mm. the show but they used aliases at the end. They and Simpsons even made fun of this later on when uh, the Itchy and Scratchy movie came out and and uh, Bart couldn't watch it and Lisa came back and was like, there was so many guest voices, Dustin Hoffman, Michael Jackson, they didn't use their real names, but we knew it was them. <laughs> and uh, so I thought that the, the alias that they used at the very end was just somebody who was like a very good Michael Jackson impersonator or a very good Dustin Hoffman impersonator. And it just turned out to be them. They just didn't want to put their name on the show because it was considered, you know, gauche or whatever to be to be an animated cartoon voice or whatever. So there you go. It's amazing. Um, mine's uh, not animated, so I did not answer the question. Uh, nice. I answered my own question, um, but it is a voice performance. Uh, I, I went with uh, Bradley Cooper's Rocket Raccoon. Um, oh. I, uh, I don't know how I missed that he was cast as rocket raccoon but when i went and saw the first guardians uh there was a there was a moment about halfway through where i heard bradley cooper's voice and it was the, the first moment in the entire movie where it actually sounded a little bit like bradley cooper and i was like wait is that is that bradley cooper and it blew my mm -hmm. mind because mm -hmm. he's doing such a great character voice uh in yeah. those movies um so that was that was one for me that i remember mm -hmm. um that's that's a good one because he doesn't sound anything like himself, whereas Groot sounds exactly like Vin Diesel. Yes, um, yes he does. I've been all about the Blue Eye Samurai um, mm. the last several months, uh, and uh, George Takei is in that, and I didn't realize it was him first time through. And then also the character of Ringo is voiced by Masi Oka, who was on mm. Heroes, mm -hmm. uh, who was my favorite character on Heroes. And Ringo doesn't have a lot of dialogue in Blue Eye Samurai, so I didn't even think for a second that it was going to be somebody who I would recognize their name. Um, so when I was looking through the cast, I was like, Oh, it's that guy. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody's uh, Yeah. I've watched the first three episodes of it. I had need to get back to it. I thought nice. I, I like what I've seen so far. It's um, great. 
in the uh, chat, we've got um, we've got uh, Leah Schreiber as the missing dog in Isle of Dogs. Mm. Um, we have Keith David as Doctor Facilier in the Princess and the, in the Princess and the Frog, mm. um, and uh, Mako as Uncle Iron in the Last Airbender. Um, Sean Gunn as the baby rocket in volume, <laughs> volume three. True. Uh, and so, um, those are all good ones. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 100. Uh, once again, thank you chat, uh, for coming out. You guys always come through for us. I, I love it that you, that you just come strong every time. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, next week will be eye in the sky for episode 101. Uh, but, uh, that'll do it for this week. We will see you next time. See ya. Bye guys. Bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Hello. Hello. Hey. That moment. That moment when you're waiting to see if everybody's sound is coming through. Ooh, look at that. Looking fresh. fresh. Looking fresh. You got the nice buzz cut or something. I did it on accident in November because I used the wrong guard. Mm -hmm. And after mm -hmm. making fun of myself for a few days, I realized I kind of liked it. Oh. Um, so I did it again, um, like a week ago. That's nice. um, that is something that happens, right? You get, uh, uh, you know, you, you're like, okay, I'm gonna just kind of knock this down a little bit, and then you make a mistake, and then you're like, well, I got to cover it up somehow. How? Why not just cut it all off? Yeah, I mean, my wife has been cutting my hair with clippers since the pandemic, and so mm -hmm. I just handed her the clippers because I thought the correct guard was on there, and she just went. Whoosh. And then there's no choice. And no point. going back then. Got mm -hmm. no one. Either that or, you know, I'd make a stupid reverse mohawk, like, statement haircut. And I'm not that guy. You're not a make a statement with your hair guy? No, but you are. I Do you remember that in college? No. Did you have a mohawk? No. Um, I had a cross shaved in the back of my head. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. How, I was long, like, how long did you keep that rocking? Uh, until I made the traveling group. And they were like, <laughs> they were like, they no, were like your Christianity's too edgy for yes, us. Aaron. Yeah, they were like, no personality, please. You're part of a group now. You're not an individual. Oh, oh my goodness, we can't have a cross shaved in your head. This is the best story I've ever heard. I can't believe this is so all of it. It's not even funny. And then, like many years later, um, before I was was working with CinemaSins, right before that, actually, they, they called me up to do some interviews for a communications position for like, uh, you know, being on the path to being like a professor there in communications and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I met with the same person who had originally had that conversation with me <laughs> because he's 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 running like all of the, you know, staff hirings and that kind of stuff. And he he asked me in that meeting, he's like, so... Are you still pushing the envelope? Are you oh my still God. <laughs> I'm just like
this is the same school that hired our old mentor's son and then mm -hmm. found out he wrote an obscure book that had like a trans character in it so they fired him yeah i think yeah there was a i think it was a gay character i think it was it was a, a positive uh gay character and they were like that's not good it must be a villain if they're gay i don't know what they were like but that's what that's the the inclination they gave and you can get in trouble at the same school for writing about a gay person or shaving a cross in the back <laughs> um i was just reading about a tool that has been developed that people artists can add to their digital artwork that will poison machine learning software so basically, it somehow confuses the machine learning software into thinking the bits and bytes it's seeing are something else. I don't know the technology behind it. But then it will also mistake those same bits and bytes in other artworks, like not just the one you uploaded. So theoretically, within months, if enough people did this, they could completely ruin those AI machine learning spewers how interesting like, because they might be looking at a picture of a dog but this will convince them they're looking at a picture of a bench <laughs> but and, isn't this like every uh technological thing it's just a back and forth and then oh, yeah. the and then the ai people figure out how to tell the computers to find that and then the, the people who want to fight it tell the computers that, you know like it's just this back and just forth let me have my robin hood moment for a minute Aaron. <laughs> people are fighting back against Listen, the oppression if there's, if there's one thing i'm known for it's my pessimism all right this is never yeah, gonna work <laughs> that's why you shaved a cross in your head that's right that's right you you've been better off playing with face cards aaron <laughs> The only yeah. reason I know how to play Rook is that face cards were banned from my camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not like, like, because you can't gamble on Rook. Right? <laughs> right. The only thing you can gamble on are face cards. Face cards? Yeah, like yeah. regular playing cards. My parents were... still won't allow face cards in their home. Yeah, they were banned. Too close to gambling. Okay. Yeah, Ace, King, Queen, Jack, Ten, that, that kind of card set, not allowed. <clears throat> You've officially gone too far. <laughs> i remember um doing a stand-up comedy thing in high school and i did i did the audition or whatever for it and it it contained stuff about a teacher in the school and so the drama teacher said we can't do that unless you do that bit in front of her and she says it's okay Oh, no. So like they pulled me out of class on on uh one day and I had to perform this bit in front of her in like a supply closet of something. <laughs> and and uh so I sat there and did this thing about because this teacher used to say stuff like this is worth fifty percent of your grade and then this is worth thirty five and then this is worth mm -hmm. it would always go over a hundred. <laughs> and uh and uh so I, so I told that joke and i told another joke i think maybe about her cigarette smoking or something oh. like that and uh she sat there very stone-faced <laughs> and then i went back into the class and then like it took me out again like five minutes later she goes it's a no -go. <laughs> 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 oh man that's awesome Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.